Good evening tonight. It's good to be back. Like Kirk said, it's good to kind of be back in the saddle and doing some good things. Um, and since her regards and regrets tonight, we're having a series of prayer meetings uh, at the gathering at 840. And so she's attending one of those prayer meetings tonight and um, she'll be back soon. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. Beginning in verse 7, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to pick up our series again that Jeff and I have been uh, preaching here during these days. And this is a, uh, a repeated thing. John, uh, when he writes, he comes back to the same thing. He, he, he emphasizes something, goes away, then comes back to that and gives us a little more depth. And uh, this is all about our love for one another. And embedded in this scripture, although it's very repetitious, embedded in this scripture are some profound truths. But not only are there profound truths there, there's something that sort of unlocks the door uh, to why we are believers, uh, why we are a church. And the one thing as we start, before I read this, the one thing uh, that we need to be aware of is this simple fact. Our salvation is private. So when you get saved, it's a private salvation. It's between you and God. But very quickly after that, it becomes very public. And and we're observed and we do things publicly. So we say, if you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, come and confess him. Do it publicly. Come, We call people out uh, to do that. We baptize people publicly. So our salvation means more than just my personal faith and belief. And what he's saying here is something very, very interesting. It goes right along with what the Apostle Paul says. For instance, in uh, Philippians, we preached on that out there today. And Paul says that we're to be uh, holy, basically. He says, so we can be luminaries, not just a little flashlight in the darkness, but something as bright as a star or a planet for a certain reason. And John begins to talk about what this is tonight. So I want to read it, and then we'll make some comments on it. Beloved... Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God abides in him and and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. I want to stop there. Jeff will pick it up next week, but I want to just uh, talk about this. If I can remind you of some themes in 1 John, and they're important themes, he talks about a number of things. He talks about how we witness and how Christ is real and he was manifested. We handled him. We, you know, we touched him. We heard him. And uh, those things, he talks about that. He talks about love a lot here. He talks about forgiveness. He says, if you say you don't have any sin, you're lying. 
But if we do have sin, a number of things come out of that. Number one, if we confess our sins, the Father's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he said, the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from our sins, which lets me know that if I sin and I don't, I'm not aware of it or I've forgotten it, that, that the blood of Jesus Christ does its work anyway. I don't, I, it doesn't have to depend upon me. God is participating in that. He talks about how we ought to walk in the light. You remember all this from John. Uh, so, so, uh, so as we come to this, there's this command. And in this command is embedded something or several things that I think are very important. From the beginning, John establishes the fact that we are, his, we are the witnesses of the Lord. But how is it that we witness? I think uh, sometimes we think, well, if, to witness effectively, I've got to have a technique. To witness effectively, or for our church to re- really be out on the front end of evangelism in a, in a culture gone wrong, then somehow, if we just had the right uh, understanding or the hook or something like this, that, that we could really uh, bring people to Christ. And all that's good. I, it really is. We need a technique. You need to know what the gospel is. That's, that's what... Uh, uh, Jeff's leading people in tonight. What's your story? What's your testimony? So you can, you can be a witness to that. And then next week we'll be talking about the gospel. What is it that we, we actually share? But the Bible doesn't start there. The Bible starts with who we are and out of who we are, the attitudes that we have and the transformation that we have, this morphing of our lives as we grow in Christ likeness leads to action and the action leads to love. That's the action that it leads to. And out of this love that we have for one another, not only will people know that we're Christ's disciples, but that's the way witness is established. The difference in our lives and the difference in our attitudes and the way we express our attitudes and actions are really the groundbreaking thing that God has given to us to be an effective witness in this world. And he explains this, but it's kind of circular. The, the, the scripture's a little bit circular, so we have to take our, our time in this. So as we prove the humanity of Christ and prove our experience with him, give witness and testimony to that, then we do this out of a certain mindset and understanding. And I tell you what, it really releases the pressure of witnessing. Because now you're waiting for God to move on a person who's not a Christian and God to move on your heart and put, put you together with that person. And, and somehow, maybe over a period of time or whatever, they become interested or they're at the point where they're ready to be led to Christ. The first thing we see is that this is really a command that we love one another. Often we start with the command that we go and make disciples, but Jesus said it over and over again. This is the new commandment, that you have love one for the other. You love one another. And God's love compels us to love one another. Think about this. He has ascending love. What God did to love us wasn't to shout from heaven and say, I I know you've messed up, but I really do love you. I know you're struggling down there, but I really and truly love you. Just trust me in all of this. I love you. No, love was a sending love. So he sends Jesus Christ, as we read in the passage here. He sent him to save us. He sent him to give his life for us. He sent him to be a propitiation for us. He, he, he sent him uh, to, to have a saving love for us, to do something in a, in a demonstrable way. He demonstrated it, his love for us, by sending his son His son lived a life of love. He died on the cross and he was buried and was resurrected. Think about this for a minute. What benefit did Jesus ever receive out of coming to earth? The Bible says he laid aside his glory. He he laid aside all his rights and privileges. 
He laid aside almost the essence of what being in the triune fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was to come and humble himself even to the point of death. What did Jesus gain by coming to earth? Now, if we flip the question around, what did we gain by Jesus coming to earth? We see the nature of love, ascending love, an acting love, something that changes somebody because of what you have done. And John is saying, because God had this sending love and he sent Jesus Christ to do these things that we could live in him and we could know him and he gave his life for us so we could, we could uh, be resurrected like he's resurrected. What he did changed our fortunes. What he did brought blessing to us. Uh, notice what he says here. He said, if you, in verse eight, if, if you, don't, uh, you don't love, you don't know God. He said, this is the love of God that was manifested in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. It's a sending love. He, 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 he sent this sending love and Jesus in that sending love so loved us and God so loved us that when he sent his son, he sent him for this purpose so that we being dead in our trespasses and sins could come alive and live in Christ forever. You're just not alive because you have right doctrine. You're not alive because you have a profession of faith. You're not alive because you've walked an aisle or been baptized. You're alive when you're in Christ. Paul says, you know, I'm in Christ. I'm dead, but I'm alive in Christ. I live because of Christ who died for me and gave his life for me. And he gives his life to me. So this sending love did something to change your life and my life. Jesus didn't get a benefit out of that. He has eternal life. He is eternal life. He's life. But his sending love that God had, his only begotten son, that we would live through him. And then it says this, verse 10. It says, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent, there that word is, to be a propitiation for our sins. A holy God could never brook sin. He doesn't look upon it with any favor. He doesn't excuse it. There's never a day that God says, well, I know you're doing the best you can and that's all right. No, a holy God will not look upon sin. He won't brook sin. He won't allow it. He doesn't allow it to be with him. He's not tempted by it. And here we are sinners separated from him, helpless and hopeless. We can't do anything about it. And so uh, John says, we ought to love one another because God has demonstrated for us what sending active love does. And he said, he's the, he sent Jesus not only to give us life, but the way he gave us life is to become a propitiation for us. If your Bible has expiatory sacrifice or something like that, that's about half of what the word propitiation means. Simply, this is what it means. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, facing the judgment of God and the wrath of God and the punishment of God, facing death and hell. All of the wrath of God ready to be poured out upon us for the wages of sin is death forever. And yet Jesus came and instead of God pouring out his wrath over your sins and my sins, that wrath was diverted to the cross when he hung there. And he put the sins of the world, past, present, and future right upon the life of Jesus Christ. And he gave his life and death so that we wouldn't have to die. He took the wrath of God so that we wouldn't experience the wrath of God. And not only did he take the wrath of God, but he gave us in resurrection his very life. I don't have just my life. I've got two lives I'm living. I'm just like you. I'm going to die one day. You're going to die one day. It runs in my family. It runs in your family. All of us are going to die one day unless Jesus comes back. That's one death. It's the second death that you want to avoid. 
And we're going to avoid that because the Bible says that we have escaped the second death when we receive Christ because we have now his eternal life. I don't have the concept of eternal life. I don't have eternal life on my own. I wasn't given a gift to make it my own. I was given the life of Jesus Christ and you were given the life of Jesus Christ so that we could live in him. And he said he sent him to do these things, to be our Savior. Isn't it amazing that he said that? Verse 14, we have seen and testified that the Father, here's that word again, has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He died for all men. I'm sorry to say that not everybody is going to receive Christ. I'm sorry to say some people today or tonight are dying and they've never heard of Christ. That's why we need to pray and give and go. That's why we need to support those who are out on those lines and front lines and places where we can't go, not only here in our community, but around the world. I think everybody deserves to hear the gospel at least one time in their lives. And he said, Jesus was sent by the Father, not only to be the propitiation, not only to give us life, but to save us from all that our lives and our sins had brought to us. The saving love of Jesus Christ. It's a sacrificing love. It's a selfless love. He didn't gain anything. What we gained is to be in the family of God. We could say, I guess he gained a family, but nothing. How does the cross benefit anybody? Well, it didn't benefit Jesus. He died. It benefited you and me because he died for us. But he came in self-sacrificing love, love in action to do what exactly we needed done. The propitiation of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, the sending of God the only, uh, of his only begotten son. All of these things are things that, uh, that uh, went, went directly to our greatest need. And that was that sin that caused death and separation to come to us. So John says, this is what God has done. But it doesn't stop there. I think we need to learn to read the New Testament in the plural because most of the New Testament is written to church people, a church full of people. And so here's where John is leading. He says, as God has so loved us, so we ought to love other people. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. We're born of God, so we ought to love one another. We know God. When, you, when, when, you're, when you're loved by God and you come into that love relationship, something happens there. It's the evidence of your salvation. It's the evidence that something has happened in your life. And notice what John says. He says a number of things. In verse 7, he says, let's love one another. Love is from God. Everyone who loves, first of all, is born again. You can't love another person unless the love of God changes your life. Now, you may think, well, I love my grandchild, or I love this, I love my wife, and whatever else. That's, that's, a, that's a kind of love that anybody could have. Anybody who's not a Christian has that kind of love. A baby moves their heart. A spouse moves their emotions. They love their family. They love people. They love people who love them. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the love that we see pictured in Jesus Christ, the self-sacrificing love, that when I love somebody, whether it's inside the church or whether it's outside the church, something dramatic and dynamic happens in that self-sacrificing love. When I encourage somebody, when I pray for somebody, when I witness to somebody, when I serve somebody, it's not just that I'm doing that, it's that something happens in the power of God and in the ways of God that causes a transaction to be done where their lives are changed forever. And he said, we've been loved by God and we've been born again. When God loved us, something happened to us. He just didn't save us and put us in a box. We were born again. We've been given new life. 
Something miraculous has happened to us because God has loved us. Not only that, he'll go on to say, uh, uh, we, we, uh, the evidence that we know God. Notice what he says in that verse. Born of God, and he said, and knows God. The evidence of your life that you know God is that you've been born again, and you've been born again because of the love of God. Let me tell you something. It's just very plain here, and it's not very pleasant to say this. But most people in the world have some notion of God, but they don't know him. It's like uh, watching a television program and your favorite actor is on several movies or whatever. And you feel like, well, I know this person. And you look, at, look their, uh, uh, their life up, their, their, you know, on Wikipedia or something. And, well, you know they were born somewhere and, and uh, you know they live somewhere and they've been married eight times and, uh, you know, have 49 children or whatever else. And you think, well, I, I really know that person. You don't know anything about that person. No. You have no relationship with that person. And people who are not born again have no relationship with God. They can pray all they want, but they don't know who they're praying to. They can serve in the name of Christ all they want, but nothing's going to happen except somebody's going to get full or get some water. But this kind of love that he's talking about is a born-again love, and you know God. That's the evidence that God's loved you. Born again, we know God. He doesn't stop there, does he? Look at this. He says, if you don't know, uh, you don't love, you don't know God. And then he says, God was manifested in us. He sent his son that the world might live through him. Not that we loved him, but Christ became a propitiation for us. And then he goes on and he talks about this. He said, we've been, we're alive in Christ. And then he says, we've been given the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 13, behold, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he's given us the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that creates all this uh, uh, transformation. It's the Holy Spirit that brings us into holiness. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand who God is. Where's God? I don't know. I can't see him. But the Holy Spirit living within us in that born-again experience gives us this assurance that we are, in fact, saved. Gives us the assurance. And a, a part of that assurance is that we are loving one another. Oftentimes, we look within to see if we're saved. When we could look without, we could look on the outside and run a simple test. Do I love my fellow believer? Do I love this world like God loves this world? Will I be willing to sacrifice for this world and for the gospel's sake that people could be born again and know God and live in Christ? We think, well, I need to know some doctrine to see if I'm saved or not. I, I, I need to have some experience on the inside. I need for God to speak to me out of the heavens or whatever, or maybe read a scripture that would really and truly assure me. But if you're born again, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's the power and the drive of the Holy Spirit that propels us to love one another. Before you save, you don't care. You may have the world's kind of love, but not the kind of love that would sacrifice for somebody. Not the kind of love that would lay down your life for somebody. Not the kind of love that would see the, the, the people who are the, uh, the most adverse to what we believe and how we live. To have a love for them in spite of what they say about us, in spite of what they do. You go to work and you love that enemy that's hurt you. you. You go to the neighborhood and the person who's the vilest person in the neighborhood, there's a love of God there that acknowledges the reality of their lives as dead to God and trespassing in sin. But the reality of the power of love that can, in fact, Breakthrough. So this love is self-evidencing when we love one another. How many people are in churches all over this world who are takers? 
We just take. We're going to sit and you feed me and uh, you care for me. If I need financial help, you help me. Now, I'm not going to serve anybody. Or even worse, there are these people who are so doctrinaire that they've lost their heart, not only for God, but for his people. And they go take a spiritual gifts inventory and they find out they have the gift of prophecy. So they're never going to do anything except what they want to do. They're not going to serve in the nursery, you know. They're not going to clean up the floor if it's dirty. They're not going to do anything because they've defined their lives. What they're saying to God is, look, this is the way I want to be used. I'm so happy I have this gift because it excuses me from loving the brethren. It excuses me from serving anybody. It excuses me to put any love in action because in reality, I don't have any. But oh, when a person is in love with the Lord, you can't help but love his people. You can't help it. They don't have to agree with you doctrinally. They don't have to worship on the same day you worship. But if they profess Jesus Christ, you have an inbred, inborn, born again love for them. And that's the evidence of your salvation. The evidence of your salvation is that you have the Holy Spirit. And that's wonderful. We have many proofs and many, many comforts from the Holy Spirit. But if you want to know if you're saved in the way that God saves people, check your love potion. Are you loving people? Do you have a heart for people, good and bad? Do you have a heart for the church and the people of the church? Were you willing to serve whatever and whenever they ask you to? That's the evidence of our salvation. You know, we don't all start there, do we? I know I didn't. I started with a body of doctrine. And I wanted to make sure that I was right in what the Bible said and whatever. But sometimes we have a zeal for God, but not for the people of God. Sometimes we have a zeal for God and the truth of Scripture, but not for the world. It's just as easy to stick our nose in, in a Bible study or listen to a podcast of, or, a, or a sermon of somebody of prominence than it is to stop long enough to say, God, would you please use me to love this world? Our love for one another, both in this church and outside of the church, is the foundation for our witness. Listen to what he says. He says, verse 12, nobody's seen God at any time. You can't point anybody to God. You, can't, you can point out a star, but you can say, well, this is what God is. He's invisible. He's a spirit. You can't point Jesus out to anybody. So, so what's he talking about here? No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and and his love is perfected in us. You know what he's saying there? If we love one another, we show people the unseen God. Our love for one another, our love for this world is the foundation of our witness. Whether it's just praying for somebody who's a rascal at work or whether it's trying to serve somebody, when you don't get anything out of that except a little loss of time or money or energy, he said, this is the foundation of our witness. This is how we become, as Paul says in Philippians chapter, chapter 2, luminaries, not, not flashlights. There's something about a luminary. You know, you know, when darkness comes, when the sun goes down and darkness comes, and if you're outside at all, what's the first thing you'll notice? The moon. It's a light. Your eyes are attracted to the moon. Maybe the, nor- the North Star when it comes out. You're just attracted to that. You can't help it. You look at it. And Paul's analogy is very good here. He's saying we're we're not just flashlights, we're luminaries. When we love one another 
And we have this attitude that Christ had to say, I'll do anything for you to get you saved in a relationship with the Father and a relationship with the people of God in a church somewhere. I'll do anything. I'll die for you. I'll set aside my glory long enough for you to be saved. My love is going to be in action. He says, when you do that, you begin to shine and people are attracted to it. If we turn all the lights off tonight in this place, all of them, all of them in the church, everything is pitch dark. No street lights out, no light coming in. And somebody had a little pin light. And in the darkness, they illuminated that little pin light. Every eye in this place would turn to it. It's amazing how light draws your attention. And the analogy here, John writes and said, if we, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's the proof that we're children of God. But more than that, it's the foundation. So when love is apparent in your life and my life, and we are serving one another and loving one another, and in bonds of fellowship with one another, and we're ready to serve the needs of those who don't even want to be served with kindness and we show the holiness of God because we do have the Holy Spirit and our love is perfected as we love one another and love the world, then we become not flashlights, not a pin light, but luminaries so that people who are at the end of their rope, who don't know if they should live or not, who are angry, who need forgiveness, who can't take another step, who are depressed, who are sad, who are lonely, when they reach the bottom of that and the darkness is closing in, here you come along and there's something in the love of God in your life that you have received. Now, now you reciprocate and they find you. They find this church. They find that light in their bitter darkness. Think about that for a moment. That's what he's saying. God can't be seen. In an earlier verse in this book, he says, for we are as he is in this world to draw people to Christ. We're the eyes and hands and feet and the heart. God blesses us and raises us up and gives us these opportunities. So what should we take away from this tonight? Well, remember, your salvation is not just private. Jesus died for the world publicly. He died in public. He taught in public. He loved in public. He healed in public. And God calls us to a public faith ready to reveal Christ, the unseen, unknown God of this world and his son, the only begotten. And as the Holy Spirit uses us to walk into their darkness, right in the middle of the darkness with them and offer the only hope that's ever been given in this world for every spiritual need that's ever been had. And that's Jesus Christ. It authenticates our lives when we love the world as God loves the world. We don't excuse them. Sin is sin but we love as God loves to sacrifice whatever it takes for people to come to Jesus. Love for one another establishes our credibility. You see, you can be doc doctrinaire. Yeah, you can. You can be doctrinaire. You can have all the right doctrine. But if you don't have love for the people around you and love especially for the church you attend, you have no credibility whatsoever. All you are is a pain in the neck. We need good doctrine. But love conquers everything. Simon Peter knew it. It conquers our fears, our sorrows. We need to love one another to establish the credibility of our faith. Otherwise, we're just religious, right? Love for one another 
is natural and desired of born-again people. Run your love potion tonight. See if you're all torn up about people who are evil, sinful, people who don't do right. Not excusing them, but wouldn't you want God to use you to reach that person, to pull them out of the mess they're in? Well, if you say no, then you don't have a born-again experience because when you're born again, you have love. Love for one another is natural, and we desire it. I want to help that person. Believers are always the helpers, always the intercessors, the interceptors in people's lives as they go down into the abyss to intercept them and love them and care for them and do whatever. Confession of right belief and doctrine is nothing without love. And our greatest virtue is love, which, which testifies and reveals our great love for God. Well, what should we do? We need to walk in the light of Christ as he walked. We are as he is in this world. We need to confess our sins, not excusing them. We need to admit them. We need to know that the power of God that he's put in us by the Holy Spirit and the truth of his word allows us, if we so choose, to defeat every temptation of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We don't have to be defeated. We've been given this incredible gift of his power and deliberately loving the brethren. You know what that does? It gives you assurance that you're a believer. It gives you power to lead people to Christ. It really does. It gives us a focus. It makes us desire holiness. And we witness not by technique or intrusion. We wait for those divine appointments that God gives us. And when he gives us those divine appointments, we rest in that love. We rest in knowing him. We rest in knowing the gospel. And we simply speak into person's lives. There's no greater joy in the world than to watch somebody come to Christ. None. When you watch somebody who's lived uh, in pain or fear or sorrow or unforgiveness or bitterness and watch that person come from death to life, there's nothing greater in the world. And, and that's why God left us here. This is a public thing. This is a mission for us all. Or else when we got saved, we just go to heaven. We are as he is in this world. Brethren, as God has loved us, so we ought to love one another. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come tonight before this word, and it's not confusing at all, but it's convicting. And Father, we confess to you tonight that we don't always have the focus of love. When things go wrong in our lives or in our world, we look at war and evil men and women and people who defy the name of Jesus Christ, the Goliaths of this world, we feel like little David. And oftentimes we run and shrink and get with people we know who love us and never take the risk of extending love. But Father, we know tonight that loving one another and loving the world as you love it is proof of our salvation and brings the power to change this world the only change that this world could ever really truly know. It's not by education. It's not by money. It's not by just trying to do better. It's by knowing Jesus Christ, to live in him, to take the benefits of his dying, his propitiation for us, to know him and to know you through him, to live like he lived as sent people, sent into this world 
as lights in the darkness, exposing the deeds of evil for what they are, how devastating they can be to people, and leading them to the light of Jesus Christ. May our church, this church tonight, be that. Oh, Father, may it be that. And may we be as individuals that, to live public lives, ready to be sent and ready to serve your people and people who are not your people for your glory and your purposes. And we ask this in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.